Good afternoon, and welcome to our Thursday of our Holy Week services. Um, We welcome you in the strong name of Jesus. It's wonderful to be together uh, as a community, if not on live stream, uh, to worship the Lord Jesus Christ and to think about all that he suffered and endured for us during the final week of his earthly ministry. So we welcome you today. Uh, My name is Logan Almy. I'm the pastor of uh, First Presbyterian Church here in Waynesboro. And uh, I will be speaking today, and tomorrow uh, we'll be meeting together also at the same time, and Dr. Al Wright will be preaching God's Word. And so uh, if you're at home and you would like to come to First Baptist Church, they are inviting everyone to come. Uh, The church doors are open, so you can be here in, in person if you would like to come and avail yourself of that opportunity. But if you're joining on live stream, we welcome you also in the strong name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, Let's begin today uh, with a word of prayer, and then we will turn our attention to God's Word. Father in heaven, we bow our hearts before your majesty, and we give you thanks and praise that you have delivered us from the domain of darkness, and you have transferred us into the kingdom of your beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of our sins. We thank you that for our sake you made him who knew no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of you. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity we have to meditate on the final week of Jesus' earthly life and all that he suffered and all that he endured, especially as he went to the cross to pay the price for our sins. We ask, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would be with us as we give our attention to the reading and the preaching of your word. We ask that you would open up our eyes and help us to see Jesus, our great Savior, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. And we pray, Lord, that for all who hear, that we would be encouraged and blessed and edified by beholding your Son and our Lord. We pray, Lord, that you would remove any distractions and that you would help us to focus exclusively on your word. I ask that the meditation of our hearts and the words of my mouth would be acceptable in your sight and that your word would not return void, but that it would accomplish the purpose for which you send it in our hearts. Sanctify us by your truth. Your word is truth. Speak to us, Lord, for your servants are listening. We bow our hearts and our minds and our wills and our bodies and our lives before the authority of you speaking in the God-breathed scriptures. Be with us now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I invite you to take your Bibles and turn with me to Luke uh, chapter 22 uh, for our scripture reading. Uh, I will be reading this passage as we go through the sermon this afternoon because it's a longer uh, passage of Scripture. It's Luke 22, uh, starting in verse 63, and it will go to Luke 23, verse 25. Uh, It would be very tempting just to cover a shorter part of that, uh, but I want to cover the scope of it as we look together at what Jesus suffered uh, as he was on the way to the cross Uh, This passage is a very uh, difficult one for us to read as true believers because here we see the unjust way Jesus Christ was treated by wicked men. 
And here we have a stark uh, reminder of the way uh, that our sins were laid upon Christ and he bore our sin and he suffered in our place. Uh, In this passage in Luke chapter 22, Jesus had told the people in verse 53 that when I was with you day after day in the temple, you did not lay hands on me, but this is your hour and the power of darkness. And so we will see how it was the hour of sinful man And it was an hour in which the power of darkness was on display as Christ was treated with great abuse and disdain and hatred by evil men. And as we walk through this passage, we're going to see how Jesus willingly went to the cross. Don't ever get the idea that Jesus was forced into going to the cross. Jesus said, no one takes my life from me, but I lay it down and I lay it down so that I may take it up again. Jesus willingly endured the abuse we're about to read about. He willingly suffered for us so that he could make it to the cross, so that he could bear the wrath of God for us, and so that he could reconcile us to the Father by his sin-bearing death at Calvary's cross. And so in our passage, we see all that Jesus is suffering on the way to the cross. It would have been so easy for him to turn away at any of the the horrible things he suffered, and yet he kept his face fixed like a flint on Jerusalem, his face fixed clearly on the suffering that he would endure at the cross. Now in this passage, one of the things that we're going to see, pretty much the main theme, is the great evil of man and the way that they treated Christ. Perhaps nowhere else in all of Scripture do we see the depravity of man, but in the way that Jesus was treated in the final week of his life. Uh, Here we see the, the only perfect man who ever lived, the sinless man. And yet they spit in his face and they punched him. And they put a crown of thorns on his head and they lied about him. And they mocked him and they ridiculed him and they treated him with great disdain. And surely this is a picture of our total depravity and the grim reminder of our evil hearts and our fallen state. We see a stark contrast in our passage that we're about to read between the innocence of Jesus and the depravity of man. That Jesus is the blameless, spotless Lamb of God, and yet men treat him with great anger and evil. And as we look at this passage, I want us to see five manifestations of the depravity of man that Jesus endured as he was on the way to the cross. Five aspects of our depravity that he bore as he was headed to Calvary. The first I want you to see here as we're looking at Luke 22 now in verse 63 is that Jesus endured the abusive mockery of man. Look in Luke 22, starting in verse 63. Now, the men who were holding Jesus in custody were mocking him as they beat him. They also blindfolded him and kept asking him, Prophesy, who is it that struck you? And they said many other things against him, blaspheming him. Now, these who were holding Jesus in custody here were the, were the uh, temple officers. These were not the Roman soldiers. And these temple officers, or guards, had taken Jesus into custody. 
And Jesus is experience, experiencing their abusive mockery. You have to picture the, the situation here. They have blindfolded Jesus, and then they are striking him, one after the other. You imagine if you're blindfolded, you don't know where the next blow is going to come from. Is it going to hit you in the nose or the side of the head or the back of the head? And as they're hitting him, they're saying, surely you know you're the Christ, you're the Messiah. Who hits you, Christ? And they keep hitting him over and over and over again. This would have been a painful experience, a degrading experience, a demeaning experience. And I think of those wicked hands that hit Jesus in the face. They strike those eyes that never looked with lust. They strike the mouth that never told any lie or never spoke with any kind of disrespect towards any man. And those hands are hitting the face of God's only begotten son. And so surely we see the depravity of man is that this is, this is how the world treated Jesus when he came. They didn't receive him. He came to his own and his own did not receive him. But they hated him and they mocked him and they abused him and they spit upon him and they treated him with this abusive mockery. And it is out of the overflow of the heart that man curses and it's out of the overflow of the heart that man punches and strikes and expresses this malice. And we see the abusive mockery in the way they treated Christ. But notice it's not only abusive mockery. We also see a second manifestation of the depravity of man. We see the stubborn unbelief of man. Look in verse 66. When day came, the assembly of the elders of the people gathered together. This is the Sanhedrin, the 70 elders of the Jews. Both the chief priest and the scribes. And they led Jesus away to their council and they said, If you are the Christ, tell us. But he said to them, If I tell you, you will not believe. And if I ask you, you will not answer. But from now on the Son of Man shall be seated at the right hand of the power of God. So they all said to him, Are you the Son of God then? And he said to them, You say that I am. Then they said, what further testimony do we need? We have heard it ourselves from his own lips. And so this kangaroo court that started at nighttime with an illegal trial for Jesus has now gathered together in the morning. These elders of the Jews are not interested in finding out the truth. They already have the verdict of guilty. They're just now searching for the evidence. And they will not believe that Jesus is the Christ. He has said he is the Christ. He has proven that he is the Christ by many signs and wonders. They've heard the self-attesting authority of his teaching. And yet now in this kangaroo court, they say, tell us if you are the Christ. But look what Jesus says in verse 67. If I tell you, you will not believe. We see the stubborn unbelief of sinful man. The heart of man will never believe the gospel, will never believe in Christ apart from the grace of God. It is totally depraved. It is ruined. It is a disbelieving heart, even as it is a heart full of mockery and scoffing at divine things. These are those who have willfully misunderstood. They've willfully rejected the truth. And these men knew their Bibles. These men were educated. These men knew the prophecies of the Messiah. And still they would not believe. We see the total depravity of the human heart. And there is Jesus 
experiencing the stubborn unbelief of these that are speaking against him. But it's not just the abusive mockery of man and the stubborn unbelief of man. We also see a third manifestation of depravity that Jesus endured. It was the malicious slander of man. Look here in chapter 23. The Sanhedrin hands Jesus over to Pilate because they are not able to kill Jesus and they wanted to kill Jesus. And so they hand him over to Pilate and it says the whole company of them arose and brought him before Pilate. And they began to accuse him saying, we found this man misleading our nation and forbidding us to give tribute to Caesar and saying that he himself is Christ, a king. And Pilate asked him, are you the king of the Jews? And he answered him, you have said so. Then Pilate said to the chief priest in the crowds, I find no guilt in this man. But they were urgent, saying, He stirs up the people, teaching throughout all Judea from Galilee, even to this place. And so notice their accusations and their charges change. When it was before the Sanhedrin, they were trying to get him for blasphemy. But Pilate, as a Roman, isn't going to care about blasphemy, so they change the charges. And they lie about him. They tell three lies about him. They say that he's misleading the nation. But we know that Jesus is the truth. They say that he was forbidding uh, tribute to Caesar. But he said, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's. And to God the things that are God. They said that he was claiming to be a king. But we know how reluctant Jesus was to claim to be king. Because of the misunderstanding of the people. He was the king. He was the Christ. But they thought the king was a political revolutionary, which he was not. And so they lied about him. They deliberately distorted the truth. They slandered him. Psalm 58 and verse 3 says, The wicked go astray from birth, speaking lies. The heart of man, the wicked, fallen, depraved heart of man lies about Christ, lies about God, lies about truth. It is the nature of a sinful heart to lie, and that is our heart. It is not just the heart of these Pharisees and scribes. It is our heart to be engaged in abusive mockery and stubborn unbelief and malicious slander, downright evil. And we also see in the fourth place the belittling disrespect. That Jesus endured. Look in verse 6 of chapter 23. When Pilate heard this, he asked whether this man was a Galilean. And when he learned that he belonged to Herod's jurisdiction, he sent him over to Herod, who was himself in Jerusalem at that time. When Herod saw Jesus, he was glad, for he had long desired to see him because he had heard about him, and he was hoping to see some sign done by him. So he questioned him at some length, but he made no answer. The chief priest and the scribes stood by vehemently accusing him, and Herod with his soldiers treated him with contempt and mocked him. Then arraying him in splendid clothing, he sent him back to Pilate. And Herod and Pilate became friends with each other that very day. Before this, they had been at enmity with each other. Pilate then called together the chief priest and the rulers of the people and said to them, You brought me this man as one who was misleading the people. And after examining him before you, behold, I did not find this man guilty of any of your charges against him. Neither did Herod, for he sent him back to us. Look, nothing deserving death has been done by him. I will therefore punish and release him. Here we have Herod Antipas, 
The same Herod who had John the Baptist beheaded. This is a Herod who was very sensual and very carnal. He loved to be amused. He loved to be entertained. The reason why he had John the Baptist beheaded was because Herodias had danced a sensual dance before him. And now he has the same attitude. He wants Jesus to entertain him. He wants Jesus to do some tricks. He wants Jesus to perform some signs. He's not interested in what Jesus has to say. He just wants to see some wonders and signs. And he asks questions. But the questions are in a mocking tone, in a belittling disrespect. And so this, here we have a situation where we have two kings. We have Herod, the puppet king of Judea. And then we have Jesus, the king of kings and the Lord of lords. God manifest in the flesh. And look at the belittling disrespect that Herod shows for the Christ. Look at how he laughs at him. Look at how he puts a garment around him, a fine linen, and and parades him before his guest. If he only knew that Jesus was the one through whom all things were created, Jesus was God in the flesh. The fullness of deity dwelled in him bodily, and yet Herod is here mocking him, not knowing who stands before him. The disrespect, this belittling disrespect that we see in our own hearts and we see all over our own culture that is in the wicked and depraved heart of man, and yet it stands in stark relief to this one who has never sinned, this one that Pilate says multiple times, I find no guilt in him. He's not done anything wrong. He's not done anything deserving of death. He is the blameless lamb. And yet look, how as the lamb before its shears is silent, so Christ opens not his mouth. He committed no sin. And when he was reviled, he did not revile in return. And at every page of this story, as he's going to the cross, he's enduring this depravity of man. But it's not just the abusive mockery and the stubborn unbelief and the malicious slander and the belittling disrespect. The fifth and final aspect of the depravity of man that Christ endured for us is angry contempt. Look in verse 18. Jesus is with Pilate and he's, uh, Pilate is to release someone because of the festival, but they all cried out together, away with this man and release to us Barabbas a man who had been thrown into prison for insurrection started in the city, and for murder. Pilate addressed them once more, desiring to release Jesus, but they kept shouting, crucify him, crucify him. A third time he said to them, why, what evil has he done? I have found in him no guilt deserving death. I will therefore punish and release him. But they were urgent, demanding with loud cries that he should be crucified, and their voices prevailed. So Pilate decided that their demand should be granted. He released the man who had been thrown into prison for insurrection and murder, for whom they asked. But he delivered Jesus over to their will. How much this crowd hated Christ. They were willing to ask for a man who was guilty of insurrection and murder to go free. And a man who had never sinned and who had never done anything wrong to be crucified. 
How confused can the darkened heart of man be? How blinded by its own sin? How confused on the priorities of life? And yet there is nothing but angry contempt in this crowd. In fact, Pilate and his sinful cowardice, trying to pass Jesus off, trying to get Jesus out of it, but, not, but afraid to stand up for the truth of this, Pilate is there handing him over. And they shout Pilate down. Pilate says, I would, you want me to release Barabbas? Really? The guy who's a murderer? The guy who's an insurrectionist? And they say, crucify Jesus! Crucify Jesus! And this mob shouts down any possibility of Christ escaping. And Barabbas, the one who is guilty, goes free. And Jesus, the one who is innocent, is handed over to be crucified, about which we will learn about tomorrow. But let us remember that as we see the depravity of man that Jesus experienced here, we also see the reality of the gospel. Because all of these things that happened to Jesus as he was going to the cross, the Bible says in Acts chapter 4 and verse 27 and 28 that it happened according to the definite plan and the predestined purpose of God. None of this happened by accident. None of this happened just because. But it was all governed by the sovereign hand of God. So even in this final scene where Barabbas is set free and Jesus is crucified, there is a picture in the providential ordering of God of the very nature of the gospel. Because Barabbas deserved to die. Barabbas had broken the law. Barabbas was a murderer. Barabbas was an insurrectionist. And he deserved capital punishment. And yet Jesus was innocent. Jesus did not deserve to die. And yet Jesus took Barabbas' place. And I think we understand this as we read this in light of the gospel, that we are Barabbas. We are those who deserve to die. We are those who have hearts full of abusive mockery and stubborn unbelief and malicious slander and belittling disrespect and angry contempt. That's all in our hearts. We would not have treated Jesus any differently. Our wicked, depraved, sinful hearts. And yet Jesus substituted himself for us. Jesus died in our place. Think about what Barabbas would have been able to say later on as Jesus was crucified between those two thieves. He could have said, that's where I was supposed to be. That's where I was supposed to be dying for my sins and I would justly deserve it like those other two thieves did. But that man does not deserve to die. That man is innocent. That man is righteous. That man is perfect. The just for the unjust. The righteous for the unrighteous. The perfect for the imperfect. Bearing shame and scoffing rude, in my place condemned he stood, sealed my pardon in his blood. Hallelujah, what a savior. Jesus stood where we stand so that we might stand where he stands. It was for our sake that God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us so that in him we could become the righteousness of God. When Jesus was on the cross, God imputed to him our sin. And he was punished 
for our sin so that he might then in turn impute to us his righteousness so that our sins are removed and laid on the Lord Jesus and that his righteousness covers us so that we are fully forgiven and reconciled to God. Jesus sinlessly endures the depravity of man. And it comes to a crescendo ultimately when he is on the cross and he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because at the cross, Jesus bore the full wrath of God for us. He drank the cup of God's wrath down to its very dregs. He paid the full sin debt, 100% of the sin debt, through his substitutionary death for the sins of all of his people. And we see that illustrated in the swap of Barabbas for Jesus. You know, it is very interesting, we are told in Matthew's gospel that Barabbas' first name was Jesus. And so he's actually Jesus Barabbas. And the name Barabbas in Aramaic actually means son of the father. They wanted to release the wrong son of the father. But the true son of the father, the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the Savior, exchanged himself for us. Now there's one more application I want to make as we finish here, as we are out of time. And it's an application that is really important, I think, for our certain cultural moment that we are going through. And that is, look at how they treated Jesus. Jesus was gentle. Jesus always told the truth. Jesus was never mean-spirited. Jesus was never judgmental in a sinful, judgmental way. Jesus always said the right thing, and he always treated people the right way. And look what they did to him. And we are reminded of the fact that Jesus told us as they treated him, so they would treat us. If the world hated me, Jesus said, so the world will hate you. And the Apostle Paul would later write in 2 Timothy 3.12 that all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. You can't escape the persecution of the world and the judgment of the world and the hatred of the world by trying to be kind. It's not enough. Jesus was the kindest man who ever lived. And they punched him in the face and spit in his face and put him up on a cross and said, Come down, save yourself. You saved others. And so why in God's name do we expect to be accepted by this world? Why do we expect that this world is going to applaud us? It is irregular for the world to give us freedom, our peace, and prosperity, and be fine with Christians. Do not seek the world's approval, brothers and sisters, because you will never get it. It's never enough. And expect to be treated in the way that Jesus was treated. Expect to receive the rejection that he received. Expect to receive the slander he received. It's what we're going to get for being faithful Christians in a culture that has become increasingly hostile to the claims of Christ upon our life. We are not to compromise the truth of the Bible to make it more palatable for unregenerate people. Because it waters down the message And it doesn't even remove the rejection and hatred of the world. Hebrews 12 and verse 3 says, Consider Christ, 
who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. When we look at Jesus and we see how he endured all of that to get to the cross and bear the wrath of God for us, we should be encouraged that by trusting in Christ and living in Christ, we can bear the same reproach he endured. But we have to follow him outside the city, bearing the reproach that he endured, receiving the rejection that he endured, experiencing the mockery of the world that he experienced. Because he was a man of sorrows. He was acquainted with grief. He was despised and rejected by men. And so are all who follow in his train. But it is worth it to share in the sufferings of Christ. Because it also means we will share in the glory of Christ as well. Let us pray. Father in heaven, this is a sad passage of scripture to read for us as believers because we see our dear Lord receive abuse that he did not deserve. And yet we think about it on a deeper level and we realize he was bearing our sin and he was suffering in our place. And so all the abuse he received is the abuse that we deserved. And yet the iniquity of us all was laid upon him. We were straying like lost sheep, but now we've returned to the shepherd and overseer of our souls. Thank you, Jesus, for enduring all of that. And even after you endured all of that depravity of man, you still were not done. You went to the cross and you bore the judgment. You bore the curse of a broken covenant for us. And you said, it is finished. And you fully paid the price for all our sins and reconciled us to the Father. Lord, help us to be bold in a culture that hates the true Christ and your true word. Help us not to seek the approval that we will never get from a world lost in sin. Help us to remain tenaciously committed to the truthfulness of Scripture and to to embody the truth and the grace of Jesus, but also be willing to share in the sufferings of our Savior. For if we share in his suffering, we will also share in his glory. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God the Father and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. And may you all come back uh, Friday as we celebrate Good Friday. God bless you.